Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. There are no survivors. There are no survivors. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe we dabble in history, stress the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and most of the time every week. <laughs> it's a show where we break down each and every film in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise two freaking blimey minutes at a time, and like I've always been saying recently, so not always, but recently this season... It's a little escape to a time where disease really did run rampant and dental hygiene was freaking blasphemy. Two freakins already, wow. right in a row. Yeah. I know. I'm just, I've got pent up pirate action in me because we had a couple weeks off to get a bunch of stuff done. Yeah. Oh, and we got a lot of stuff done. But yeah, we left you hanging out there so we could get some stuff done. But now we're back for an episode. And then we'll go from there. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll be back. We'll see what next week brings. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlShow.com. Like I said, we're back again to see what's going down in that little known movie, that low-budget flick at World's End. People just haven't never heard of this movie. So when we set to do this show kind of thing, I mean, we thought it would be a great entrance into podcasting. That's when we first started, right? Yeah. We thought, hey, this is going to be... We're going to give it a shot. We're going to do this thing as a trial, see what happens. Right. You know? And then it's like adding to an already giant list of hobbies for one thing that I have and I neglect. I'll just be honest there. But it was just to have fun, to see what's going on. We didn't know what was actually going to happen or where we'd end up after tackling three seasons, three years. I think we dropped our teaser trailer in December 2016. Yeah, So, so. man. That, that's when kind of started it, but it didn't really launch until January 2017. But I'm just amazed that along all these last few years, the amount of correspondence we get actually shocks me. <laughs> just every time I'm blown away. So Pirates of the Caribbean is kind of this cultural element that brings people together for all kinds of different reasons. From music to the actors, pirate fans. Are there matey. Yeah, movies by minute fans, whatever. All of that stuff. You name it, brings people together. There's a lot of people interested in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's there. Maybe. No, there are. Oh, okay. It's there. I, I've seen it. I've seen it on my barometer is Facebook. Okay, we'll just say that. <laughs> and I'm rarely on there for other things. I'm on there for work and for Star Wars, but, and maybe antiquities and those kinds of things. But other than that, I'm not there, like, doing social stuff. I'm lurking. No, just I'm ask a, family members. Yeah. They actually have to text me to say, uh, you know, I posted something that has you in it, and maybe you should take a look at it. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Damn it. Now I got to go do that. Oh, I got to actually see what that little bell deal is for the notification. I'm like, I got <laughs> notifications. Bastards. What's going on here? Anyways, I'm just trying to say that it. it I've just really just seen all this stuff bring people together with Pirates of the Caribbean. It's pretty amazing. Like everyone out there, this entire COVID-19 situation is just impacting everybody differently. But nonetheless, it's impacting us. I'm sure you've been impacted somehow out there. What I didn't realize is that all of this kind of shared love for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise would actually end up being a lifeline of sorts for some people out there. And I work in the nonprofit field, which is often filled with passion, love for wildlife, that's in my case anyways. But it's similar to other groups. I mean, no matter what the focus is of a nonprofit, often there's some passion, something driving that. And so, I, you know, I, I'm used to that. I'm used to that outpouring of emotion and, and that connection and that kind of stuff that comes up with people because they really get uh, just 
you know, drawn to something and you're helping and you're trying to do good, those kinds of things. But what I consider here like a hobby has a similar impact to the Pirates of the Caribbean fan community. It's so much more heartening when I hear stories about that. And I'm so glad we're having an impact on this pirate world out there because that's what I think the whole fan community is about and should ultimately be about. And sometimes if you're or in some of these fan communities, there could be uh, negativity and some of that stuff, but you can't let that outshine the good stuff that comes of it and just what's being built because that's what it should ultimately be about. It's putting aside differences to come together for something that we all love. And we received a note that I'll just say is from a listener. I'm not going to name his name. And I thought I'd share it as because it's just wonderful. It's sad and perhaps helps others out there with any situation that you can name. And it doesn't have to even be about pirates. It could be something else that you find. But it, it was just so like heartfelt that I thought I should read it. And this just came in uh, the other day. It was Dear Scott and Heather. I found your podcast a couple of days ago. And I wanted to express how tremendously grateful I am for all the time and personality you put into your analyses of the Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm in high school and I recently lost a close friend of mine to the coronavirus and for weeks it was crushing trying to find any sort of levity or joy in any small thing but the happiness I needed manifested itself in watching and re-watching the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Every episode of your podcast immerses me back into the Pirates of the Caribbean universe and allows me to escape the dreariness and pain in my everyday life. It provides me with happiness and never fails to put a rare smile on my face. Although I'm only a dozen episodes in, I look forward to ceaselessly binging the remaining hundreds of episodes, and I just wanted to thank both of you for helping me deal with the death of my friend and for bringing me much-needed happiness. The countless hours you put into the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise helps and positively affects countless people who are incredibly grateful, and although you might not always know it, your episodes have become part of our everyday lives. Thank you so much, a very grateful fan. I, I, yeah, I don't, almost don't know what to say. It's like, thank you so much for the touching message. And, yeah. and I'm almost speechless with that because it's not, you know, it's not, it's not a good quality for a host to like start to stutter on this stuff or be speechless. But I'm so glad that our show is helping you and helping others out there and, and, you know, anybody else that's impacted, not even just by COVID-19 or, but all the things that maybe the situation is causing to be impacting, whether you've lost your job or all those kinds of things. And, any other issue that you may be facing, if you can focus or, or find joy in something. And I'm glad that for at least for one person that that's happened out there, because who would have ever expected that a show there where we uh, stress the euphemisms is bringing a smile to somebody's face when we're talking about pirates and being a little idiotic about things. So, you know, I'm just glad that that you found us. So thanks for sending that that incredible note. Um, reach out anytime and please accept our sincere sympathies for sure when you finally get to this episode hundreds and hundreds of episodes later from the 12 that you're in. And for me, I mean, this gives a whole new meaning for our show. And like I said, it's in, I'm, I'm like just incredibly touched that we might also be helping people or helping people as part of this greater Pirates of the Caribbean franchise or podcast community, whatever it is. And... Yeah, it's just, in, it's incredible. And like I said, I work in the nonprofit field. So this is, it's like a similar thing. I just had no idea that a hobby and something that we enjoy talking about and doing could have an impact or be helping somebody. Uh, but now that I know that, yeah, it just puts a different perspective to the show that whenever we say something crazy that maybe we're putting the smile on somebody's face uh, that maybe needs a smile. Yeah. Or we think we're putting a smile on our somebody's face and we're actually just irritating them They're like they think that's funny and well. so maybe that's more than not or maybe they laugh because they go these guys are idiots and think that's funny <laughs> but no i don't know i'm just saying it's an honor to be part of that and to be part of this and it's kind of not the usual opening i had but it was i think uh it was a message that i just wanted to share because i thought it was really incredible that somebody actually reached out to to share those feelings and I appreciate it. So I appreciate all the listeners out there, no matter what we say or make fun of people, uh, you know, of calling you guys, uh, what, filthy bilge rats and blooming cockroaches and all that. It's all done with uh, some pirate love, possibly. Yep. Uh, most of the time. Know that sometimes, okay, here, let me say this. Know that sometimes, yes, I'm belittling, but you just won't know if I am or I'm actually being heartfelt when I say blooming cockroaches. So just always assume the positive and don't go, that guy just called me a Filthy Bildrat. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So in honor of listeners coming together to take this show to all new levels, as they try and 
bring back the the feel. If we can take that and move forward and have a good time now. I know it's a difficult task for everyone to elevate the show beyond its mediocre roots, though. That's you know. very true. But that's why it's in honor of listeners. How about we revisit my blatant call-out for the pirate fact regarding uh, the arsenal that Elizabeth was packing last time? So let's hit that pirate fact of the week with some intel from listener Adam Liebrick Johnson on weapons, since I called him out on that in the previous episode. Put him on the spot, and he responded like a good trooper, a good (laughs) captain, if you will. Fact. Bears eat beets. Bears beets. Captain Jack Sparrow! And so he says, since I've been called out, I guess I have to answer. I'm not an expert. Now, surely you jest. But anyways, okay, we'll (laughs) roll with that. I'm just friends with experts. The big weapon Elizabeth pulls out of the back of her outfit. Where was she keeping that thing anyways, he asks. That's a good question. We all want to know. um, But he says it's weird. It appears to have a wheel lock, not a flint lock, which marks it as horribly antiquated by the time period depicted in At World's End. It appears to be some sort of musket with the barrel cut off or a shotgun. It doesn't have the flared barrel of a blunderbuss, but it doesn't have the long barrel for accuracy either. I'm guessing it's the pirate equivalent of a sawed-off shotgun. The rest of the guns she pulls are flintlocks. The first two pistols she pulls are Scottish-style flintlock pistols with their all-metal construction. What is a wheel lock, you ask? It's a precursor to the flintlock. It functions in a similar fashion using a spark to ignite a priming charge, which in turn ignites the main powder charge to propel the projectile. It is different from a flintlock in that the wheel lock mechanism is incredibly complex. It's a clockwork mechanism that is wound like a watch until the main spring is taut. When the trigger is pulled, it releases the mechanism, which spins a flint wheel against a piece of steel that causes the initial spark. You got this, Heather. Oh, I got it. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to test you on all this here shortly. Oh, So just stay tuned. They're incredibly complex. They were very expensive and were generally the provenance of wealthy people as they could only be repaired by a clock master, not a gunsmith. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. That's right. It's interesting. Awesome for Adam. There he goes. I mean, I knew... You just might be able to come through with a superb breakdown of weaponry. I knew it. I called it. And we appreciate it. Yes. Thank Another you very much. Another awesome listener coming through just to make sure that, uh, that we're somewhat on task. That we're not making stuff up. Which Most we do of the a time. lot. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time we do. So that's our pirate fact of the week. Thanks to Adam. Thank you, Adam. Oh, yeah. He's awesome. We appreciate your input. That we do. In the previous minutes... Here's everything we need to know. Elizabeth manages to take a cannon out of her pants, decides there's nothing finer when on a pirate mission to get into her shorty robe and take a stroll through an 18th century bathhouse, which unsurprisingly is full of dudes in need of a wheelbarrow full of antifungal cream. And finally reaches Sao Feng, who believes the best introduction is fully displaying his messiah complex. Minute 11 begins with Sao Feng turning around, prompting Barbosa to bow. As Elizabeth foregoes the respect, Barbosa motions for her to bow as well. Minute 12 begins, minute 12 ends, I should say. Man, this is just going to hell. Minute 12 (laughs) ends with Fang and Barbosa staring each other down. After Fang gives his men the signal, they pull a submerged Will Turner from a wooden tub. So here's my takeaways for these two minutes. That One, that they're setting up the plot here, okay? We got the plot stuff going on. It's the introduction of Sal Fang. And then we're also giving Will his grand entrance. So there's a, it's a three component for two minutes here. It's we get the idea of what the hell's going to happen in this movie. Oh yeah, when they we talk haven't about seen the, Will yet. No, we haven't. Oh. So because he mentions the the gates. Oh man, now I forgot what the hell it is. The farthest gate. So yes. he mentions that that that's going to be like the destination that they're looking for with all that interplay there. Yeah. We get Sal Fang giving us his uh, pirate lord introduction thing. And then obviously Will pops out of the the tub, needed a bath, and boom, there he is. All, all ready for Elizabeth. Like the Disney ride. Exactly. Ready for Elizabeth action. That he's all comes clean. Really? <laughs> out of the tub. We also get the mysterious dropping of a place called the farthest gate, as I said. So that's the location. And we're going to chat about that later. Not the Will thing in the tub. We're going to chat about the farthest gate. Others can chat about Will in the tub and whatever that is. That's fan fiction, I'm sure. Will in the tub. For me, I'm not part of that one. But hey, to each their own. But definitely I wanted to point out the place that's going to be 
a a point of note that we'll discuss later. The farthest gate has a nice ring to it. It does. Has that mystery element to it. It has, yeah, it definitely has that. Almost like those, it, it could be part of some of those like teen dystopian future movies. You know, it's like the maze. They got to get to the farthest gate mm, yes. to come back or uh, whatever the other ones were with that. <laughs> I'm blanking on every teen dystopian thing right now. And I mentioned one that I think we saw one part of the whole series. Oh, the Hunger Games. There's oh, one. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I got to get to the farthest gate because I'm really hungry. And that's where uh, McDonald's is. I don't know. Whatever the hell the plot was for those. There you go. Dystopian they future. They're looking for McDonald's, huh? Yeah, they're looking for the farthest gate. The the golden gate. The golden arches. The golden arches. arches. Yeah, the farthest golden arches. And I know we talk a lot about Elizabeth's character arc, which is undeniably very interesting. I mean, and powerful. That goes without saying. Come on. It's been a crazy ride. But Will, sometimes I wonder if he's that tragic figure in the storyline. This guy can't catch a break, I'm starting to wonder. He's gone from a reputable blue-collar worker you know, getting his future kind of in order, setting the stage for being a great blacksmith. You know, he, he got the sword for Norrington. It's like perfectly balanced. He's a swordsmith to, oh man, he's becoming a pirate. Uh, it seems like it might be okay though. You know, change in career paths. Then, yeah. To essentially a common thief, as Sal Fang <laughs> would say. We caught a thief. So, uh, well, he was a thief in, uh, Dead Man's Chess. Well, because well, he, he stole from. I'm drawing a blank. Sorry, <laughs> Tentacle Man. The Tentacle Man, really? You mean Davy Jones. Jones? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I almost need to name this episode the Tentacle Man just because of that blunder. Davy Jones. Yeah, but that's pirate stuff. This is actually somebody calling him a thief. And so what I'm saying is, is that he's gone from pirate and doing pirate thievery. Okay. To now just almost being the common thief. It's like the tragic downfall of our hero in Curse of the Black Pearl that's happening here. He's almost the opposite of Elizabeth's journey. Progressively grasping at her dream, seizing power, embracing her strength to the point of not giving an S about proper protocol, right? right? Like bowing to the pirate Lord Fang here. Almost rolling her eyes to him, kind of in the background there. Putting a knife to the neck of Tai Huang. I mean, then you got Will. In the Being tub. pulled out of a nasty bathtub. <laughs> the, I mean, what what's going on here? The, the, the lines of intersection of cross. Elizabeth's arc is going up. Poor Will is going down. He's the downward slide. Talk And talk about stewing and juices, too. I mean, get Will some sanitizer stat here. <laughs> hey, if Will has any open wound, I guarantee he's mm. got gangrene after this. He's got to get that looked at. You might as well chop off his arm if there's an open wound on his hand. Because... He needs to stop that. That stuff is disgusting. That's what Pirates of the Caribbean does so well, I think. It showcases these characters with a journey. And it's not always heroic. It's filled with tragedies and consequences. And that even plays out more as we go further into the film. That's what I like about this whole story. I, How do you know? We've only gone to this minute. That's true. I've never seen the no. any other Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I watch them literally one minute at a time. And it's so disjointed. It's very hard to, to keep up with it. <laughs> But I'm starting to to look, I mean, I used to kind of look at Curse of the Black Pearl as a standalone movie, which it, okay, it is. Dead Man's Chest is really the first part of this longer yes. one here with At World's End. And I almost see them as one movie. But well, now, that's why I couldn't, I thought we seen Will already. Well, okay, there you go. And I don't <laughs> believe you. I think it's it's part of your, you're not being able to remember your name or the URL and all really? that kind of stuff. So, but I'm starting to then take those two components of these this first trilogy part and, and bring them into one movie because of the way that the arc of these characters happen. And I'm starting to, to try and view it that way as one long movie, not a standalone movie and then another two-part movie. That's I'm starting to wonder if that's going to make things more just more sense for me as I oh, do okay. this. Yeah. Um, and it's not that they don't make sense. I'm just trying to say that the way that they come together is pretty incredible, the weaving that's happening. That's what I like about it. I mean, of course, we finally get a location as well. I mean, for God's sakes. We're in Singapore! Yeah! I mean, Fang welcomes Barbosa and all of us to Singapore. Fang. Sal Fang. Sal Fong. There we go. However you want to say it. Appears it wasn't quite named Singapore, though, at the time. Maybe it was. I don't think it was quite Singapore, though. 
And it wasn't until 1819 that the British East India Company actually established a trading settlement on the island and set in motion a history of Singapore. So, Pirates of the Caribbean, how dare you uh, not follow the proper timeline? Were they, did they really have a trading post there, though? In 1819. I mean, at this point in time, I think they were just here trying to get rid of pirates. They could just be patrolling. Maybe they're just patrolling. I think that's all they're doing was trying to get rid of pirates here. That may be possible. It wasn't a trading post. That they didn't have any other posts there. Maybe they're scouting for the eventual trading post that would be established on Singapore in 1819. It's possible. All the pirates are hiding from him. Maybe. From them, I mean. Because in uh, prior to 1819, Singapore was known by a few names such as Temasek in the 13th and 14th centuries. And then that changed its name to Singapura, perhaps towards the end of the 14th century. Singapura. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I don't like South Feng to saying, welcome to Singapura. Arr! Not with a Spanish accent, though, because they are <laughs> That <Spanish>. was weird. <laughs> <laughs> what most people don't know is Singapore had its roots and was founded by those from Mexico. That's why they called it Singapore. Or now it's Italian. Oh, my God. (laughs) So anyway, Singapore. (laughs) There was no Italians there. No Spanish. No Mexicans. This is me blundering history and and putting weird (laughs) accents on things as I say it. So anyway, the legend says that this prince from an Indonesian empire landed on the island that we now call Singapore and saw this strange lion creature. So taking this as a good omen... The prince founded a new city right there on that spot, changing the name of the island from Temasek to Singapura. In Sanskrit, Singa means lion and Pura means city. So Lion City. That was what was born. Lion City was born. Pura. Pura? Is what the cat does when you pet it. <laughs> Maybe that's what it really is. It's a mistranslation in the Sanskrit. It was it was like this weird thing um that they realized it was like akin to the rosetta stone but for sanskrit that that like was broke off and so they assumed that pura meant city but you're right it was a purr of a lion exactly and now they've mislabeled the whole thing it screwed up all the the language and everything but yeah lion city or lion purr (laughs) as heather would say and today the symbol is of get this you're gonna think i'm making this up a mer lion. Do you know what a mer lion is? Half lion, half mermaid. Close. Yeah, really? there's a mer lion. We're not talking mermaid, mermen, a mer Aquaman, lion, huh? a mer lion, which is a mythic creature with the head of a lion and the body of a fish, which is a reminder of Singapore's early connections to this legend and the seas. Did you find a picture of this guy? Well, I think I probably found a picture from just Singapore because it's the lion is is big in Asian cultures and stuff like that. Yeah. Of the the merlion. I didn't specifically go out to find merlion pictures, but I mean, I got one in my head. I think I've seen them in before. your head. Have you? Because I've seen one before, just in imagery, and then I'm doing one right now because I've seen the body of a fish and a mermaid, and I've seen a lion. So my mind, because it's that advanced, allows me to transpose those two images and bring them together. It's like my mind is a virtual Photoshop. But so basically, what? it's a head. Didn't I just say that? With the body of a fish. Just a head, though. There's not like hands. Mermaids have hands. Oh, well. See, I, I had a picture in my mind, the paws of I a didn't lion. know you were asking about the, the hand stuff. Well, no, I was just, I got it. But some don't even think that this legend is somewhat accurate, or maybe they, they think that there's some misrepresentation because lions were not necessarily thought to be present here. And maybe they thought, hey, he saw a tiger. Instead, which tigers may have still been roaming around. So either way, the legend of Singapore right there. Oh, yeah, there you go. Well, that looks like a cute little Funko Pop, actually. So are you sure that's really accurate? As you're showing me this merlion that actually uh, makes me want to have one. Yeah, there you go. And that looks like it's in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. When I typed in merlion, Singapore came up with it. Well, there you go. Singapore. Land of the merlions. And I think we've talked... Singapore. Singapore. That's when you pet a merlion. We've talked about uh, Barbosa before. This kind of stuff is a is a poet. Kind of a pirate oh, poet. Yeah. When he chimed in here, I was like, oh, this is why I like Barbosa. D- right? Yeah. Yeah. For somebody who's this supposedly cutthroat pirate based on our only interaction with him in Curse of the Black Pearl, 
I mean, up to this point, anyways. Yeah. Pretending like if this is where we really are and we have never seen any more Barbosa action. But that's your impression of him. Is this cutthroat pirate dude? Well, kind of. But He's he a has little this softy. He has this magical way with words, though. It's like definitely a more refined linguistic era than we find ourselves today. Hashtag smiley face. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> hashtag acronyms. Of course, then there's the perpetual TLDR. My God, I couldn't get through that. The phrase we all live by. It's like, oh my God, that's too long. Didn't read it. <laughs> and he's spouting off this poetry stuff. But man, I mean, it's refreshing, the poetry with him. Maybe not so much of... Poetry is delivery. It, maybe that's what it's, it is. It's it's the, yeah, his it's delivery, delivery is yeah. just, man, that guy's poetic. Yeah, as soon as he started talking, I'm all, oh, yeah, this is why I like Barbosa. I need a Barbosa movie with yeah, him just, just doing Barbosa. like a monologue. He, <laughs> he needs to do like a Broadway one-man show or something and just whatever. But I could listen to that guy. Yeah. Just talk. Oh, yeah. Man, when he counters Fang's like coincidence accusation, it's like he says, it would strain credulity at that. And and I'm butchering the way the guy says it <laughs> no, with like yeah. perfection. He's like perfectly refined as opposed to today. Someone would have said, you bet your ass. Hashtag WTF. <laughs> I mean, that's what they would say today. This guy strained credulity at that. Man, I love it. Ah, the 21st century versus the 18th century. <laughs> that's how far we've come. With all of our technological progress, we've destroyed language, brought in the hashtags and the TLDRs because... Lord forbid, our attention spans have dropped to two seconds, if that. And uh, wait. What would you say? Yeah, exactly. Wait, I, I'm not even sure why we're talking because I don't even know people can listen that long anymore. Maybe our podcast <laughs> needs to be, what, a minute? I don't know. Let me know. Maybe they're just popping in. They dozed off. Wake up. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. But it's the attention to detail. That's what I like about this movie as well. And we were talking about things that we liked about it. Uh-huh. Because it's this attention to detail that's like, it's an incredible attention to all those like individual elements to give credibility to this hell of a pirate world that's going on here. It's an actual place in the 18th century. That's what they're making you feel. It's a hell of a, well, hell of a is now my poetic phrase, just like Barbosa. Hell of a. Hell of a. Hell of a is not a poetic phrase. Damn it, woman. It's, it is a, it's a hell of a. It's a hell of a phrase. Does that sound like something 18th century would say? Mm. <sighs> I got to come up with something else. But anyways, I'm trying to get everybody to understand and, and keep it short. That way they don't miss it. But I'm breaking it down for the peeps out there. That way they understand that it's like trying to read some old English. You're just like, what the hell's going on? If I say, you know, like... Um, Can't even come up with bar it. Well, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't even remember where I was at because I've, <laughs> I've already lost my focus. But it's the idea that that Barbosa is so in Barbosa with the detail, the Singapore detail with the set that you've talked about before. Uh -huh. I mean, it's unparalleled. Even with the camera work, it's like following Sal Fang's minions in the steamy underbelly of this place. Watching the sign flip around with the, you know, in response to the cord being pulled or the chain, whatever it was, and the wood clatter. The guy shoveling coal, the dude pulling the other chain back, like, yeah, okay, pull the other chain, you know? Yeah. That's what I like. It's it's the background that it's like unnecessary from moving the movie forward at all to see a clattering of the stuff at this point, right? The guy, or the guy shoveling but coal because why are we seeing how they're making steam? Because it gives us detail on the well. That's world what I'm saying. It's it's like it, it's a perfect detail that makes you believe you're in that world. Yeah, and I think that's what nails it. For me anyways, because that's the valuable part of the of the whole scene is those details. And just look around the room, the candles, the lighting, the the brickwork, all that stuff, the blocks, the rocks. It, it's just incredible. Yeah. Plus, it gives Gibbs the opportunity to hint at why the Motley crew are down in the steamy factory there. You know, support for Elizabeth and Barbosa above. So it kind of gives him that. Fail. It's like fancy exposition, you know, exposition Gibbs that we used to talk about. Uh -huh. But done in just a few words. It's kind of what I see it as. Like, oh, don't run off, Rigetti. You know, you're seeing a bunch of crazy people down here. Uh, we're the only support they have up there. Yeah. So you go, okay, so they're there to support it. They're not like, hey, fancy meeting you guys up there. You know, we were just uh, strolling around in the sewers and happened to find ourselves in this uh, gross-ass steam room down below. Because the last place you want to be 
is below the nasty top floor of the oh, steam room. Oh, you know it's not. It's, you got it's just steam slatted drippings. floor, dude. Oh, it, of course it's slatted floor. You could see that it had intricate yeah, carving, so the steam so could come up. It's so dripping down at you. Oh, oh that's the disgusting. The bacteriolating drips are just disgusting. Those bacteri- those drips that come off the, the boards, up. they're like a, amoebas falling. It's like uh, a slow drip. Oh, yeah. Don't look up and don't open your mouth. Oh, can you imagine? You, you start to sneeze and your head goes back up and you open your mouth and the one drops in there. You're going to have to yeah, drink some sanitizer. That's probably why you'd, you'd want a flask of rum just to rub on your face oh, and then to drink. Oh, you need a lot of rum. Yeah. Oh, you bet you need a lot of rum for that. Kill all that bacteria. So detail, detail, poetic detail. That's what I really like about that. And then we get, like I said, we get the grand entrance for Will, the location of what's going to happen, uh, kind of setting the scene for things, mm-hmm. which is cool. We are brought to you this week by Urban Bird Foundation. Start conserving birds in your community today at urbanbird.org shop. Make a symbolic owl adoption for yourself or a friend and help grassroots bird conservation and wildlife rescues. I know many of you are wondering just why in the Blooming Cockroaches I'm talking about Urban Bird Foundation on a show about Pirates of the Caribbean. But come on, have you seen what Cotton's Parrot has gone through? Chased by cannibals, weathered the Kraken, avoided cannon explosions, and even miraculously survived a trip back underwater from Davy Jones's locker. Clearly, Pirates of the Caribbean needs some bird love. You can give birds a helping hand, mateys. You know you can't have a Disney pirate without a bird. So save a pirate by saving birds at urbanbird.org shop. Urban Bird Foundation. Birds. People. Communities. And then obviously we get Sal Fang, and I talked about his Messiah complex the last time, the way he did his Jesus turn around on the cross. I mean, he even turned around like that. Come, this guy With needs his to, arms out. Yeah, this guy needs to step back because I might start doing that. I'm just going to see what people say if I say I'm in the office. If we ever get back to the office, say, and I'm standing, I'm just going to have my arms out, and when someone says something, I'm just going to turn around with my arms extended just to see what they say, to see the look on their face. That's a good idea. Next time. You're in the office and there's somebody there. You should try it. Yeah, I'm gonna with my mask on. (laughs) But Sal Fang, he has a number of aliases since we're talking about him. Pirate Lord of the South China Sea. What do you rank that? Is that a good one? That's a good one. Okay. Pirate Lord of Singapore. No, I like the sea. What about this? Scourge of the South China Sea. It's a kind of a different ring to it. Yeah, Pirate Lord, Scourge. It's It's like two different things. If you want yeah. the people to be frightened, you yeah, go with Scourge. Yeah, yeah. If you want the respect and people to bow, you start to go Pirate Lord. Yeah. But what about Dragon of Singapore? What do you think about that? Ooh, I like Dragon. Yeah. You know, obviously if I had to choose one for myself you here. You pick Dragon? Well, I don't know. I'm thinking either pick Dragon of Singapore or Scourge of Singapore. Really? Because I see you going with Lord. That's, yeah, you're right. Pirate Lord. I might try one of those out this weekend. Dragon of Napa. The Lord of Napa. Yeah, that one's better. Oh, the Lord of Napa. I'm going to start going around. I'm just going to introduce myself, obviously, with my arms out. Like, <laughs> I'm the Lord of Napa. <laughs> Looks like people will blatantly think that I'm uh, being anti-religious or something if I do that, making fun of religion. I don't want to do that, necessarily. But I like the idea of my arms just out. It, it kind of feels like I'm holding the weight of the world for them. Like, So maybe I'm getting a Messiah complex right now. I'm the Lord of Napa. I guess it depends what I'm shooting for, though. Maybe Scourge. If I'm angry at the people that are now in my Napa, then I will be the Scourge. because Scott I will, have will to always bring them. be the Scourge. Yeah, see? Now you're going, yeah, that's right. That Scott is pretty angry all the time. He is the Scourge. Yeah, especially if you're driving around. That's true. I'll be the Scourge of people running them down at that point. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll get out of the car to help him with my arms open. <laughs> His weapons of choice? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Depends. If they're really hurt, I don't want to get that blood on me. Uh, I'll call somebody. Be like a Seinfeld moment. Probably best. Like I said, his weapons of choice, the Dao, which we talked about. Dao? Yeah. Oh, okay. Then the Fid and the Pistol. The Fid, we know what a pistol is. The Fid, though, is being a tool commonly used by sailors, normally taking the form of a stake or prong made from wood or bamboo. Hmm. So what I like. Zip Fang is like, you know what? I need something a bit different, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make use of a tool for a weapon. I mean, he's like the MacGyver of Singapore now, so I'm gonna add that to the list. MacGyver of Singapore using a fid. Maybe if people aren't as scared of it, they're like, is that a fid? I don't I mean, think MacGyver was around until like the 80s. 
That's true. 1980s. <laughs> Good thing you clarified because I was like <laughs> seeing MacGyver out there on the open seas. <laughs> Duct taping holes in pirate he, ships. He may be the one you want with you, actually. Did because we recently did a a thing. I'm trying to lighten the mood on our weekly Zoom staff meeting, and instead of doing stuff, I actually chose like what would my question was who would you want on the apocalypse? And it couldn't be somebody super powered because obviously if you choose Superman, then whatever you know that's not going to be any fun. Because but I want Superman. I know you want Superman, but that wasn't the rules. So for mine, I chose MacGyver because he could make something out of anything. Mm. There in the zombie world, you need somebody who can craft weapons out of just parts or protection or walls or even ag equipment if you need to grow your own crops. He's the guy to do it. Right. Solar, whatever. Then the other guy I chose to come with me was uh, Dr. Leonard McCoy because not only is he a doctor from the future, so he has an increased medical knowledge, he might just bring along his tricorder and those kinds of things that would really be helpful at that particular time. And not only that, then the other option is he might have a phaser with him that if I do get bit, he could quickly phase off my arm and cauterize it at the same time. That way I don't bleed to death. But if he's got medical medical equipment, don't they have the thingies that and they fix it right away? But I don't know if they've ever contended for the zombie world, if he'd have time to, to do things with that. So I just need it as a backup oh, with the phaser. Oh, you yeah. just chop it off. So, you know, I don't want to deal with that. Just just chop it That's off. right, if I need oh. to do that. And the I did have a third option, and I said that it was Heather that I'd have to bring you along, but that was in case you were listening. So <laughs> that's why I had to bring you along. So congratulations, you made the third party wow, of the four teams. that's shocking. I know. Yeah, it was wow. nice. So uh, bonus points for me. There you go. Yes. But anyways, you got me off on the zombie MacGyver world. And I don't know how you just did that because I didn't tell you I was doing that kind of thing. That's <laughs> I weird. had no clue. But anyways, there's some other backstory elements we can touch on in another episode for Sao Fang. But for the intro, I'm going to leave it with these physical attributes and then the names I've already talked about. So he wore robes layered with a shoulder guard and an armored plated belt inset with jade stones. He has a large dragon tattoo on his body, which you mentioned last time is all of his pirates do, his Chinese pirate yes. clan, which is a sign that they were sworn brothers. This is all stuff you yeah. talked about last time. But he has ancient dueling scars across his face, which you see oh, the yeah. scars. He wears a single ring on his right pinky finger, which was comprised of a large gold signet set with a small round jade stone with a red silk scarf attached for luck. Is that why? Oh, thank you for bringing that to me because that's gonna. I was wondering red why is a very it was powerful atta- color in. Uh, well, I was wondering why it was China. attached to his finger. Yep, there you and go. And then it Look. looks like it's attached to his pants or his outfit, his hey, robes. He can attach whatever he wants to his outfits. If he wants a scarf on his pants, he can have a scarf on My his pants. My next question is, why does he smell it? Does it smell better think, than the room? Well, I looked at the script for that. And uh-huh. he was, it said he actually had like sniffles or something. And then that's why he calls. So I don't know if it's a smell, a thing, but he then calls for more steam. Okay. So there's to something kind there. of, uh, maybe it's clear his allergies, sinuses clear or something. Sinuses. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's I something there. I need to look into that more. Okay. The other stuff though, is that attached to his collar piece, which has like two above each shoulder are four Targ crosses which is symbolic jewelry that represents regions in West Africa. And these particular crosses on his shoulders represent the region of Agadez and the country of Niger. Huh. Yeah. Of course, he's played by Chow Young-Fat, and uh, he's been in all kinds of stuff. And Heather's personal favorite, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh. You watch it every damn week. It's just like, now we're going to have to do a podcast about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh. It just loves that movie. No. So when he asked for more steam. The sniffling. Yeah. Yeah. The girl pulls the. The clacker sign thing. Clacker it's like sign. A, it's like a rudimentary on the ship, you know, where you like, now I can't, I can't think of what the hell that's called. And we talked Adam. about that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'll chime in because he'll, he'll let us know. I'll remember after the show and then I'm going to look like a jerk because I couldn't remember it right now, but I can't think of what it is. Uh, I can just picture it in my head. <laughs> But you know what I'm talking about. It's like full, full steam yeah, ahead. And it goes <laughs> and back and then it rings down below and all that good stuff. And it's completely slipping my mind. Man, it's a bummer that I can't think of it right now. <laughs> so when down the clacker down below, the guy looks at it before he pulls one of the cords. Yeah. So is that telling him which room, which area? Because there's a bunch of cords there. So is the clacker land on something that tells him which area 
the steam needs to go to because each of those cords are different areas. I don't know what that, I need to look into that more. Okay. I don't know if it was more of a, we need really a lot more steam, a little more steam. I mean, uh, fog us in up here with the steam. What I don't know what the message was. It, it, but it could be a couple of different things. I mean, maybe it's just we need more steam and maybe some of the other stuff is uh, we need food up here, stat. or oh, So yeah. I don't know what all the stuff is on the sign. We should be interesting to look it up because I really like just the sound effects. I really like the look the, of I it. I like the clacking. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool. And I don't know what he pulls though. Yeah. Is it like a signal that says, aye, aye, captain, that we got it? Is it, it's on its way or is it directing something or is it, is it alerting some of the, another guy in a room like they need more steam, get over here and shovel some coal? What, what is going on I there? was thinking it was pulling down, pulling open something upstairs. Could be pulling open like vents or something. To let the something. steam in. That could be. That's what I thought it was, but okay. I'm not sure. Next week. Next week it is. <laughs> And then, uh, oh, the outfit. The dude that's shoveling coal. Yeah. Now, this is an outfit I really think you need. What do you mean need? I already got one in the closet. Because <laughs> I really like the fishnet stockings on his arms. Did he have fishnets on his arms? I didn't see that part. <laughs> yeah, it's like this fishnet thing on his arms. And that's you pretty didn't cool. See, that's about all the clothes he's got on. What are you talking about? That <laughs> and... and um. My eyes weren't wandering. What are those strap things that hold up your pants? I can't think of them. Man, we're getting blasted. You mean... Uh, <laughs> suspenders. suspenders. So all he had was suspenders and then fish, uh, fishnets on his arms. Hey, his fashion choice is his fashion so choice. So I think this is an outfit you need. I might wear that. Maybe I'll. Maybe that'll be my Halloween outfit. The uh, The guy shoveling coal with my suspender fishnet arms and straps and my little leather... Uh, Kind of underwear garment there. Whatever the hell he was wearing. <laughs> it's a great look. I thought so. Great look. I'm going to do that. And I kind of like the Sal guy. He has a calming presence about him. And one thing that I thought was interesting is that when a, he's kind of being called out, he, he's like doing his best to entrap them and to basically kind of, in, a, in some way, like call them idiots. Like he completely knows what's going on. Uh-huh. But it's like, oh, that's such a coincidence. That's so weird. It's like boggling my mind that we just had a thief try to steal these navigation charts oh my god it'd be so weird if you were going to the farthest gate and somebody tried to steal this and is now asking for ships that couldn't possibly be the case (laughs) it's like he's columbo all of a sudden yeah right yeah Yeah, i got he's kind of like a playful character yeah you know uh and i gotta dare i say this he reminds and it's two separate actors. But when I see him in this, he he reminds me of the sugar daddy guy in Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh, me too. Um, and I'm not saying the look or anything because obviously it's two separate actors. I'm saying the, the calming presence about him, the way he talks, the way that guy talks about the cherry blossoms in Memoirs yeah. of a Geisha, which now I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of his freaking name right now. Um, Chow Yun Fat and... Um, we're good tonight. Yeah, man. something's up tonight. I'm uh I yeah, I really like that movie too and I can't think I can't think of his character's name and I can't think of his name at this point. Uh but anyways, it's it's the same kind of calming presence, the the patience almost in the voice which is uh I think just a neat quality. Ken Watanabe. Oh yeah, yeah, Ken Watanabe, who's always yeah. great. It's yeah. So reminds me of him. Yeah. And he and, well it's almost like Chow Yun Fat is doing a Ken Watanabe because Ken does that in a lot of movies, has that similar persona. Yeah. Chow, what's going on here? <laughs> Don't take Ken's work. Come on. Maybe when uh, they hired him, they said, you know, we really wanted Ken for this, but <laughs> now, so can you play him? Chow's not ever going to come on the show now because you just dissed him for Ken. What the hell? I didn't. I just brought it up, but he has a similar calming presence. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's that's all I was getting at. But now, there we go. He was booked for next week, and now there goes that interview. You better wipe that out. Pirates will prevail. Finally, we've conquered death. All our worries gone. Every night our souls will rest till the break of dawn. And the show sails on, back into beyond. Over again, when I sing the song, this my home. Until the end, centuries across the sea is not enough for me. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally. 
There's something though that we need to bring back and that it's that it's that fabled recurring piece that we like to call really bad eggs. It's where we highlight our favorite line from the last few episodes and you know as we're just getting back into the the rotation with the this swing uh, of things. The swing of it, as you say. We'll cover it since the beginning of the movie. You know, there hasn't been a lot of dialogue anyways. So going forward, usually it's every four episodes or eight minutes, then we throw this really bad eggs in. So let's get cracking. Not cracking. But like cracking, like cracking eggs. Like a whip? No, not like a whip, like cracking eggs. It's really bad eggs. Didn't you just hear me? Order up. And really bad eggs. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Okay. I'm going for Barbosa. It was pretty slim pickings, I must say. It was slim pickings. Go for it. I'm going for Barbosa. He's much like myself, but absent <sighs> my merciful nature and sense of fair play. Yeah, that's a good one. Right? Yeah. Actually, that might be one of my favorite lines in this movie, actually. And it's, you know... But we'll, we'll see what happens. And Sal is a lot like Barbosa. And with a little bit, we got to know. That get is to true. Know. You're right. They both the have kind of a calming. That they're both their calming self, and they're both this playful type person. Yeah, I can see that so far. Yeah, I almost went with that too, because I just love the tongue and cheek line of it. Because at first we don't know about Sal Fang, and then it's kind of like we're getting this, and our only experience with Barbosa is a. 30 seconds at the end of Dead Man's Chest and then basically Curse of the Black Pearl where he yeah. was the infamous bad dude. So here, our idea of who Barbosa is is this other guy and he says that, hey, this guy's like me but he's not fair and he's not merciful. And Barbosa was none of those. And yeah. Maybe, the, maybe you can make an A argument little. for the mercy. But anyways, that's not really who we think of Barbosa wouldn't be those words. And the fact that he thinks of himself as that and maybe we come like we've talked about this line before come to realize that he is that yeah but for this part in this point in the movie where we are yeah that's a great line but i went with uh something else i decided to go with elizabeth telling huang what makes you think i need protecting because this line is like perfect for her character arc which i was talking about yeah firstly it counters huang assuming she's alone and helpless out there the the helpless maiden i mean even with barbosa backing her up she can handle herself, and to think otherwise is simply foolish. So that's kind of yeah. why that line works really well. And secondly, it's completely opposite of Elizabeth's second encounter with pirates. Okay, the first encounter was when she was a girl, you know, being Parlay? on the ship. Oh. No, on the ship. Oh, Boom. yeah, oh, yeah. And then the second being the attack on the town, and that's where she's hiding in the closet and uh, then hides behind or perhaps maybe smartly exercises parlay, which mm -hmm. you were just saying. And so the idea being that she used her smarts to get the supposed upper hand, which maybe didn't work out in her favor at that point. But now it's smarts and just strength. She doesn't need parlay to level the playing field here. It's like strategic ruthlessness, if that's what I want to call it maybe now. Strategic ruthlessness. And that's what I'm putting on my resume, by the way, is like the header. But that's what I kind of see it as, because now she's the strong person who's willing to put a knife to this guy's neck and stand up and do whatever she needs to do. Which is her ascending the ladder of of awesomeness and character growth. Yeah. And then Will, he's got he's the sitting. water slide to Grosso Tubville right <laughs> yeah. there. That's where Will ends up. I That's really, what I like. I really like her line, um, because you happen to have a ship and a crew you don't need. Yeah, exactly. Because so she's, she's just kind of chime in when Barbosa's like, shut up. <laughs> hey, I don't want to say anything. But I've had enough encounters with you in these situations to know that is damn reality right there. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's reality. And I think we've even talked about it on the show. You'd chime in with something like that. When we're trying to exercise proper etiquette, you'd pipe in with something. Although she did a fairly... She just kind of made it uh, like, really? Oh, do you happen to have this? But you, on the other hand, would, would drop the cards and spill our full hand. That's what I know. But I kind of think it was... You know, talking to Sal Fang yeah. was more of you speak when you're spoken to type of thing in That's that room. That's correct. 
And she wasn't spoken to. That's what Barbosa <laughs> told her when they were going there. It's like, hey, mind your place, lady. She must not know what that means. No, she doesn't. She Because she minded her place for so long until she was 17 years old. And then stopped minding her place when she broke out of her father's grasp and Norrington's grasp. Yeah. That's all part of her thing. So talking about ditching the old ways. Thanks for listening, scallywags. We're found all over the podcatcher world from Apple Podcasts to iHeartRadio. If you want to avoid a good old keel haul, perhaps you can leave us a positive review. It's always good to hear from everyone and reviews help us grow the show. Plus, we'd greatly appreciate it. We love to read listener letters. We don't always talk about them all, but uh, like I said, sometimes we pull them out and talk, you know, read them on the show. Yep. So do that. If you also have a question or comment, you can give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. So give us a ring. We just might play your voicemail on the show as well. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. And don't forget to give us a like on Facebook. All the links at theblackpearlshow.com. You know what I'm going to say. It's that freaking easy, you dirty, filthy bilge rats. So, of course, you know what we're doing here. We're delivering Pirates of the Caribbean info to the masses as the dirty, freaking, filthy bilge cockroaches. Wow. I didn't want to use another bilge rats. Bilge cockroaches that we are analyzing, scrutinizing, and plundering those blockbuster pirate films. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum, the scurvy to yourself, and don't forget to hang the bastard. Where's my rum? Oh, I could use some rum. Actually, you had a vodka cranberry I earlier, did. so you don't need any more rum. Listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or license under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Six Nail Coffin, Tommy Wynn, and to the incredible pirate band Black Bones. The rest, well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather. This is a Shoutreach Media Production.